Well, good morning. So um, <clears throat> the, the building, we're going to try to be building the building this spring. And um, we, we need, this is, so, so last year at this time, we realized that the, uh, that the costs were going to be too high. Building costs had gone up crazy. Uh, so we did all the water, the sewer. We got all that uh, basic infrastructure underground. And that cut off a lot of what we needed uh, to, to build. And so we're ready to build this spring now. And this is, this is basically what we're needing is monthly giving to the building fund. That when we go to the bank, that's what they look at. And they look at two basic things. They look at the, the amount of money that's coming into the building. But they also look at how many people are contributing to make up that amount. Okay, if, it's, if four people are what uh, is contributing to all of that money, then that, that doesn't look good to the bank. They're saying, well, why, why, why is the church not bought into this? And so we would want to encourage you to think about it, pray about it, uh, to give to the building fund and do that on a monthly basis. And uh, the, the, the amount is not as important as just saying, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. And then do that. And then when we sit down with the bank here in the next couple of months and kind of come up with our final numbers, can we do this this year, which we think we can, but, uh, but then it's, the, the bank looks at that uh, a, lot, a lot more strongly. And so, so be thinking about that, processing that. We're ready to do this. We're excited about it. It's just we've got to get to that point and, uh, and pull the trigger on that. And so <clears throat> something else that I, I wanted to, um, to uh, forgot you were there. Almost killed you right then, Paul. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, good idea, sir. Um, I don't get scared very often. That scared me. <laughs> uh, I saw, I, I, uh, saw a, a website this week um, that uh, Jeremy Mutard had sent, um, sent me about some, some different things. I began just going through this very, very huge amount of information in this, a lot of, lot of good information. And I came across something, and I'm going to read some stuff from it over, over time, as I do. But uh, the, the website is called The State of Theology. A lot of statistics and stuff. And, and one of the statistics, they, they do ask a bunch of questions to people that are not Christians, and they ask the same questions to people that are evangelical Christians. Um, not, not like all of what we would call Christendom, which which would reach, according to the definition of the word, would reach even into Catholicism. But then there's what's called um, mainline groups, which are like um, uh, Anglican and Lutheran and um, Anabaptist and all that kind of stuff would, would fall. Maybe some Presbyterian, some Methodist, but that would be in, in the mainline group. Then the evangelicals are like the rest of the Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists, and Pentecostals, Charismatics, all that. Okay, So of this, it said that 36% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, what, what gets me about this is they're, they're not like mainline. I'm not trying to pick on that, but mainline is different than what we are. Okay, there should be this, this deeper connection and sensitivity to the Word of God and relationship with God and evangelical moving into Pentecostal charismatic. But my question is, is what Bible are they reading? 
think about that because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. So here's the other question that I would have is who are they praying to? If, if Islam's Allah and Buddha and um, all the gods of Hinduism and of course, that in, Bo- in Buddhism, that includes the, what, 6,000 Buddhist gods. Um, if we believe that they're all the same and, uh, and we're praying, who are we praying to? And uh, it, that's just, there was a bunch of statistics in there just caught me off guard. You just, I, I know I say that regularly when I read this stuff and I'm thinking, what? How, how do people come up with this is what I believe kind of thinking? And so... Um, um, I am going into the Capitol tomorrow as the swearing-in. I know that some of you have said that you want to be there. It starts at 10. They are, I'm only allowed to have two seats reserved up in the gallery, which is the, sec- the floor above looking down into the well, and I mean into the floor. And um, so you, it, by 9.45, they're going to let any extra seats in the gallery be taken. I don't think there are going to be too many. But then there'll be overflow. And, um, and so if you go up there, most likely you're going to be watching it on, on um, screen. So, and I won't know. I won't know if you're there or not. So if you say, hey, pastor, that was beautiful, and you weren't there, I won't know. I'll be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, but I do want you to be praying for me. This is, I'm not playing around with this. This is uh, what I need the most is just pray. Anytime you think about it, put a reminder on your phone that pops up, um, Pray. Uh, and and uh, that's that's what I need the most. I I do believe that I am becoming a very uh, influential, very powerful member within the the uh, house already. Um, I already have my name is extremely well known throughout the house. In fact, I want to show you a picture. Sam Bottoms. I am very well known throughout the house. So here's the thing. Do I keep introducing myself as Scott or do I go with Sam? Because that's who I am in the, in the capital. So... I found that entertaining. The, um, the, the nonpartisan capital people are, are uh, very good at what they do. And the guy that kind of is in charge of them, when he found this out, he, he went apoplectic. I mean, he, he's apologized to me over and over, and I keep telling him, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it does a little, but it, it doesn't bother me. Um, these, and, and it's interesting because... Uh, I've been told by other people that when something like this happens, people just go crazy. How dare you put the wrong name on? Who cares? I mean, really, in the end, who cares? I think it's better that the TV stations know me as Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So I I mentioned last week, I want to be going over this the next few weeks, that um, that, that we, we really need to to visit, I would say revisit, but maybe visit for, for different ones of you, what, what our foundations are, what are, our, what, are our, what are our foundational guidelines in Scripture, that who are we as Christians, who are we? Because I do believe that the church has come to a place, and I've been talking about this for, for years, but 
we are, we are now to a place where um, the, the, that we as the church have got to have the true foundation of who we are. Uh, we've got to know that. We've got to, it, it literally has to be our foundation. It can't just be something we talk about. Um, how many times do we hear the scripture, you know, that um, the house that built upon the sand crumbles, but the house that built upon the rock of Jesus, and we know that's what it's saying, won't, won't falter, but, but we don't always have our house built on the rock of Jesus. And we always say when the storms of life come, but, but this is no longer, you know, a, a passive personal storms of life. I think the church is now going to, and we already are, but going to into these times of, of uh, testing and, and, and deeper, I believe, deeper tribulation the church in America has ever experienced. And we need to have our foundations. It needs to be solid. I, I was having this conversation with, with um, somebody over the last week or two, I don't remember who, but we were talking about the fact that, um, that when you take the subject of abortion, for the last 30, 30 plus years, 40 years, We've been arguing the, con, the, the conversation of abortion on the, the, the argument is, well, it's, not, it's just a mass of tissue. It's not a real human life. And then, and then the, the Christians and the pro-life people are saying, no, it's a human. That's a little human baby. And that's been the argument. And I've noticed over this last year, and it, and it culminated, really jumped forward after Dobbs um, overruled Roe versus Wade. And this is, now the conversation has changed. The, um, the extreme liberal foundation now is, we know it is a human life, but we're going to kill it anyway. That has become the conversation. Um, and, the, and, and it's kind of built in within the argument. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so the church has got to be, the church has got to be the church. We, we've got to quit playing around. We've been doing this too long. We've been playing around. That's one part of it. Or we're not really, uh, we're so scared of Satan and so scared of the world and so scared that people will leave our churches and so scared of society or whatever that we just don't take the stand. That, that's, that's yesterday. We, we're going to have to change. We've got to have this foundation. And so this is, the, this is the direction. This is a series that I'm trying to do right now is to say that we've got to have these elements in our life, and they have to be strong in our life. They can't just be. I mentioned last week that we want to be at Church of Briargate. This is our direction this year, that we want to be people of faith, people of witness, and people of purpose. And this is another thing is the, the purpose mentality. We, we, can't, we can't just say, well, I'm going to church, and I'm kind of doing my thing. Guys, that's not pur- purpose. That's not purposefully building the kingdom of God. We've got to be actively, intentionally saying, I belong to God. He created me. And God, what do you want to do? The song we sang this morning, it's one of my favorite songs, that I am available. Whatever you want, God. Even if I don't want to do it. Even if I don't like it. It includes a bunch of Democrats. I, I will do what you ask me to do. Guys, we've got to be purposefully driven as, as people that belong to the kingdom and are building God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. And we've got to be intentional about that. And so this morning we're looking at prayer. We looked at it Wednesday night. I'm doing, I'm not, I won't be doing all these, but I'm going to be doing uh, some of these on Wednesday nights. We're going to be kind of unpacking it like a different direction and more um, like apologetically and that kind of thing. And, and, and also practically, what does this mean in this arena and this arena kind of stuff? And we did that uh, Wednesday night. But turn with me to Mark chapter 35. 
I, start, I say turn with me because I've been saying that for 32 years. How many of you actually have a paper Bible? Do you? I mean, like right now, you're about to turn to it. <laughs> Not many of his hands raised like, I got it, but it's on the screen. Um, that, that, by the way, that doesn't mean anything. Whether, you, whether you're holding or doesn't holding it, or whether it's in your phone, I don't carry a paper Bible. I took a paper Bible up to my office at the Capitol, um, partly because tomorrow I'm going to swear on that. I'm not going to, you understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. I'm swearing in. That's what I mean. <laughs> Tomorrow's the day I begin to swear, but I'm going to do it with the Bible. <clears throat> so um, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing to not have a paper Bible with you at church, but it, I do think it's not a good thing to not have one. Okay. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I think that's so important in our spiritual walk and our spiritual disciplines with God. Getting alone with God. That becomes so difficult for us. And you say, well, Jesus, Jesus did it because all these people were flocking around him because he was, he was very, very famous um, the last couple years of that three-year ministry time frame. He became more and more famous to the point where you think about the you think about the triumphal entry when he comes walking on a donkey. That donkey walked all the way down those roads, all the way down through the city, and the donkey's feet never touched dirt. It was on cloaks and um, palm leaves. That's a lot of people. He was very famous. So that's why he needed to get alone to pray. Okay, and I, I think that's legit, but I also believe that he wanted to just be alone with God. It wasn't just about um, the busyness or the the uh, amount of uh, demand on him, it was, it was he needed to talk to God alone. He needed to him and God. He needed to talk to God. And if you put it in today's context, I, we don't even have really an idea. Specifically, if you're, if you're under 20, you don't even really have an idea of what it means to not be connected socially to people all over the world all the time. That, that, that we're constantly, there's a, there's a constant stream of digital consciences, consciousness going out and coming in at all times. And the way I can prove this is <clears throat> put your phone down, close your computer, and don't touch them for a week. And see if you don't start trembling and sweating There is this, I really can't um, be isolated and alone. The idea that I'm going to go spend some time with God and I'm going to put my phone in another room that I can't hear it. I, I give my wife a hard time about this because at night, she's got her phone there on the, the bedside table and it'll, and it'll go off and the light will come on, right? Just, and I'll hear her under the covers. I'm not answering it. It'll be, I'm not answering it. And it happens at the same time. I want to say, answer it the first time. Because you're going to answer it. I just have to hear the argument you have with it over the next 10 minutes. The idea that, that, we, that we are, I need to get isolated and alone and spend some time with the Lord. And I need him 
unconfused, unadulterated by anything else. I just need the Lord. So later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, Peter, that's why I came out here by myself. (laughs) Peter, always causing problems. Verse 38, but Jesus replied. Now, now this is important. So he had gone uh, to get alone and to pray, and this is what he said. After that, the very first thing he says, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. So here's the question. When Jesus got alone to pray, what did he pray? What did he say? I had a uh, friend um, that I went to Denver Seminary with that was an Anglican pastor. And he and I would sit for hours and talk about things. He was very, very deep thinker, very introspective, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, theologically, um, practically, in ministry, everything. And I really enjoyed his conversation. We'd go to lunch, and he'd have a few beers, knock back a couple whiskeys. We were not on the same page. So <clears throat> I, I, one time, by this conversation and everything else, I finally said to him, I said, do you think... When Paul was traveling from city to city, Ephesus, Corinth, Colossa, do you think that he was using a book of prayers or liturgical sermon outlines? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. Who wrote them? Since Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who wrote those sermons for Paul? Who wrote those prayers for Paul? It's amazing how easily we allow religion to eclipse the truth of potential relationship with Jesus. That we let it muddy the water so much that our religion becomes the point instead of the relationship. It becomes about the rules. Do you really think that Paul was reading stuff that somebody else wrote to those people in Corinth? Because he specifically said, you have been reading the letter I wrote earlier. But we do this stuff. So here's the question. I know this one bothers people. When Jesus got alone and isolated to pray, did he pray what we call the Lord's Prayer? First, some of the times he got alone to pray was before he said the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, the Lord's Prayer is the worst possible title for that prayer. It wasn't the Lord's Prayer. The disciples said, teach us to pray. At the very best, it should have been called the disciples' prayer. What it really should have been called is a good outline for praying, not a prayer we're supposed to pray. And I, I, so I didn't grow up in, in mainline or Catholicism or stuff. I grew up in um, Pentecostal, the same thing we are now. I grew up in this. And so I, these things kind of caught me off guard. When I first started as a pastor, I'm being asked to speak like community services and stuff like that, and um, like, a, like a Palm Sunday service at the park or Easter sunrise or something. And I started uh, doing this. 
I would speak at these things, and then I would pray at the end, and I would be finished, and I'd start to walk off the platform or wherever we were, and then I realized everybody else started doing something without me. They all began to pray the Lord's Prayer, because that's how you finish prayers. We just say amen because we're lazy, but they have the Lord's Prayer, and I didn't know this, and the first few times I'd start to, in heaven, hallowed be thy name, because I didn't even really, I hadn't like memorized it, I'm 20 years old, I didn't know we're supposed to pray this, I had to memorize the Lord's Prayer so I wouldn't look bad. Do you think when Jesus got alone to talk to God, he quoted somebody's prayer or said that Lord's Prayer? Here's the thing. Everywhere else in Scripture we see Jesus pray, except for the time when he told the disciples, this is how you pray, not what you pray. We never see him pray anything except personal connection with God. He talked to God. What did he pray? He didn't pray somebody else's prayers. He spoke from his heart. To who? His father. I, I, I can't imagine my, my son sitting here at 11 years old coming to me and saying, um, Father, I'd like to speak to you for a moment. Dear father of our house, you're a pretty good guy. What? That doesn't even make sense. But somehow we, we allow our religion to extrapolate that stuff over. Jesus never did anything except talk to God from his heart. You say, yeah, well, he was Jesus. Yeah, and we're supposed to follow that example. He told us this. So what was Jesus praying? When he got alone to pray, see, here's something. If you look everywhere in the New Testament, when Jesus got alone to pray, there was always action Steps that he took right after that, immediately. When he picked the disciples, the night before he got alone to pray, and the next morning he picks the disciples. Now, I don't know what that looked like between him and God. Did God give him a, you know, a, a manila folder, and he said, if you accept this, if you choose to accept this, and this will burn up afterwards. And God could really do that, right? And then it looks like Jesus just ran him. But either way, so... Did, I don't know if God spoke audibly. Did he give him their, pic, their, their faces in his mind? We don't know how God told Jesus who to pick, but we do know that after spending all night praying, he picked the disciples. This is another time. He got alone to pray, and what happens? He says, we must go to the other towns as well and preach to them too. That's why I came. He was reminded by the Holy Spirit in that time of prayer this is what you came for. Don't lose sight of this. As I think this is important that we do something like put a reminder in our phone that says pray. I, I've put a reminder in my phone that says um, people need Jesus today. This is about souls. And it comes up every single day. And i making sure that that happens as I go to the Capitol. This is about souls. This is about people's lives, their eternal direction. You, you have the ability to do something like that. Put it in your phone. Make it come up. If, if you need something else, put in there the Alamo. So what was Jesus praying for? Some of you are not from Texas. You don't have a clue. You, know, you may not even know what the Alamo is. I don't know. 
Jesus was praying for, here's some things I think, I think, okay? I think Jesus was praying for the Holy Spirit's anointing to accomplish the task that he was sent to accomplish. Because the first thing he says is, this is what I was sent for. This is what I was sent for. It appears very obviously that he was praying for direction. Lord, I need to know for sure the next step that I'm taking. God, you tell me. This is, this is, this is, there's the layers of this. This is the Godhead talking this to Jesus, God the Son, talking to God the Father, but they are also the same, so they're talking to each other internally. But this is also God in human flesh, limited to that human flesh, and so he's talking to his heavenly Father at the same time, saying, I need this direction. Another thing I think that he prayed for is discernment. Making sure he understood what he needed to do and how he do it. Think about the, the, when he, the next morning he picks the disciples. There had to have been discernment in that prayer. Lord, show me because this, this is going to be a big one. The, these 12 people are going to be the faces and the name of this thing forever. And they're going to become what we call the apostles. Not all of them, but they're going to become the apostles. So, so discernment. The second thing here is Jesus talked to God like he talked to the disciples, which I believe is how he talks to us and how we should talk to him. Posturing in prayer has always confused me. I've never understood that. Why we have to say certain things in a certain way and, and, um, and, uh, and our voice has to change and we have to, we have to have certain phrases and words and things like that. I, I don't understand that. There's no scriptural precedence for any of that. That's That's religion. That's religious tradition that does that stuff. Not, not real relationship, not real connection. Jesus talked to, to God like he talked to the disciples. Now here is in the story of Lazarus, where he heals Lazarus. Um, well, he more than heals him, raises him from the dead. That's like healing squared. But he raises him from the dead, right? He comes to this, this uh, moment, and they roll the stone aside, and Jesus just starts saying, Lazarus, come out of there. Now, this is after this. This is immediately after this, right? Verse 40 of John chapter 11. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Past tense. Lazarus is not out of the tomb yet. Right? One of my favorite lines in the New Testament, he hasn't stunketh yet. He's not out of the tomb. And he is saying, God, thank you for, parentheses, already hearing me. So that, that two or three days before, as he's getting there, you know, dragging his feet, taking his time, getting there, he's already talking to God about this. And it's conversation that he's having with God. And this is conversation. There was, no, there was no holy words included. There was no spiritual posturing or any of this other kind of stuff. He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. Now look at this. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. He said it out loud for us, for all the people. Not so that God could hear him. Not so that he could have some... Um, special prayer where he 
prays the right way with the right amount of faith and praying the scriptures in the right way, in the right order, and saying the words just properly so that you could unlock the secret message that would get Lazarus out of that tomb, which is oftentimes how we think about this stuff in today's Christian world. And the more into the kind of the the hyper-faith side of Pentecostal charismatic, it, it gets worse. That you've got to say it the right way. You've got to do it the right way. Or your faith will not, you won't activate your faith properly or something like that. I don't, I don't understand that. Jesus didn't even make, I love that sound right <laughs> Okay, you're distracting me, guys. So I said it out loud for the sake of all these people here so that, you will, so that they will believe that you sent me. Guys, do you see the importance of this? Jesus is just talking to God, just like he talks to Mary and Martha. He was talking to Mary and Martha, turned around, faced the tomb, and said, roll the stone aside. We're about to see this thing go down. And then, as his, as his, like, his closing uh, moment there, he says, and God, I'm just making sure that everybody here knows what you're about to do. It came from you so that they will believe in me. That's it. That's how simple it is. Guys, Jesus wants you to talk to him. He needs you to talk to him. There is not this, there is not this, um, this idea that we have to say it a certain way or be. He wants from your heart more than anything else. I told you the other day one of the, the coolest things I've heard in a long time. We were on the phone with, with my grandson, and he was playing around, doing all this stuff, and he was bringing me all the toys. You bought me this. Somehow I bought him some. I don't know if I bought him because I didn't actually buy anything. And, um, and I'd look at Lynn, and she'd go, yeah, we bought you this, buddy. And then he stopped, and he turned around on the phone, and he said, Papa, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I thought, why am I so far away from you right now? Don't you think God just wants your heart? He doesn't want all the stuff. He doesn't want all the religious language. I think it's good to pray Scripture. Don't get me wrong. I think it's really good to pray Scripture. That's a biblical concept. But it's not a magic formula to open something. That's because that Scripture has become part of you. Think about, think about in, in 2 Chronicles, we, we use this Scripture a lot. It says, humble, humble yourself, pray, seek his face turn from your wicked ways. That pray, seek his face. We, we, we seem to get the prayer part, but we don't seem to understand the seek his face part. This is Old Testament, guys. This is not New Testament. Old Testament says seek his face. Not his persona, not his glory, not his authority, but seek his face. Because when you seek the face of the Lord, you're, you're wanting him to turn and look at you. You're wanting him to turn and look into your eyes, into your soul, and to connect with you. Now, he has the ability to do this with 8 billion people. We don't. When we look into the eyes of Jesus, we're looking at one, one set of eyes. We're looking at the king's eyes. There's intimacy there. There's relationship. There's context of, of um, I need you, you need me. We need each other. Does God need us? Not the same way we need him. He really wants us. We need him. But what should happen is we should want him. 
He didn't just tell us to pray. He told us to seek. That's that's an ongoing mentality. That's not a one-time thing. That's an attitude. That's a worldview. That's a lifestyle. Seek his face. Seek relationship. Seek conversation with him. Seek him. And here's what's interesting. This verse says, humble yourself, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. Do you realize that if you are intentional about really praying and really purposeful about seeking his face, that can only happen if you're truly humbling yourself? If you haven't truly humbled yourself before the Lord, you'll never get to the seeking his face ever. You'll never get there. Because seeking his face is not about you. It's about you needing him. That's humbling yourself. It's about you submitting yourself to the ruler of everything and to the king. And here's what I have found from personal experience, but also scripturally, is that if you really do humble yourself, which gives you the right attitude as you begin to pray, which will move you into truly desiring him. When you talk to God long enough, you'll, you'll stop asking and you'll stop wanting him. And when you do that, you will always turn from your wicked ways. It will always drive you to conviction, repentance, and setting your path in his direction. If you're truly in humility, seeking his face, sinning becomes pretty much impossible. You have to, you have to back away from that and get far enough away from it that, that the humility is broken and you're seeking something else. And then sin begins to look enticing. We have the opportunity to have relationship, true relationship. The third thing, prayers are tangible things. I, I try to remind us of this on a regular basis, that prayers are actually something. They're not, see, see, I think we have this idea that there is this, this, this kind of this spiritual verbiage that we throw up there. And we don't even know we're for sure where there is. We're pretty sure the heavens are up. I'm saying the spiritual heavens are up, and hell has got to be in the magma of the earth, right? I mean, isn't that... I don't know if that's really how it works, but that's kind of the way we're supposed to think. And so when we're, we're praying, it's just up there somewhere. And specifically when you're going through difficult times and you don't feel like the Lord is hearing you or you're not getting the answer or whatever, that, that the expanse of the heavens becomes so vast that maybe the prayers are getting nowhere near God. They're just up there. Revelation chapter 8. There's a couple places In Revelation, it talks about this. When the Lamb, this verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was a silence throughout heaven for about an hour. And then they let the women back in. (laughs) (sighs) That's why they put my name as Sam on the door, by the way, right there. He said, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Look at this, guys. Please, please let this get in your spirit. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people. This angel could see the prayers. They weren't some ethereal, spiritual, mystical idea. They were literal 
things this angel can see. You say, well, I can't see them. You can't see the angel either. But the angel could see them to the point where he is mixing incense with these prayers. And then um, <clears throat> the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. God can see your prayers, and they are specifically mixed together and handed directly to him. Sometimes I, I know because I have struggled with this so many different times over, over my life. Is God, are you really listening? I've struggled with God, are you really there? I, I've had this thought more times than I can count. Right while I'm speaking, in the back of my mind, I'm having this thought, God, I hope you're real because I'm kind of out here. Right? I, I think he's real. I, I know in my spirit that he's real. I can't prove that. But I know he's real most of the time. Then sometimes like, Satan will just come up and kick you real hard with, are you sure? Right? He does the same thing with our prayers. Do your prayers even really mean anything? Are you, is anything happening? Do you know? Oh, I feel. I feel only goes so far. But according to this, our prayers are real, tangible, visible things that once this veil is taken off our eyes, we will see these prayers. We will know that they are real in a very physical, visual sense. But to God right now, they are real. And when you're going through the difficult times and you're wondering and you're struggling, get this scripture out and say, my prayers are there. My prayers are part of these prayers that are mixed with that incense and is being handed to God. And Satan, you can't tell me they're not real. They're right there. They're written down that they're there. I know that God can see my prayers, which should also <clears throat> push you, push you to pray more. Get more prayers in that mix, right? Get, get like 10 more prayers than Rick. They, they, if they're there, God will see 10 more of yours. Don't you like those odds? Okay, don't write that down. Oh, that's good, you know. Guys, your prayers are real. Don't ever, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever let Satan tell you they're not. That they don't mean anything or they're, they're just your hopes and dreams. No, they're very real things and God can see them. The last part of this is pray like it's your only hope. This is something that we talk to our prayer partners about. When we go and we talk to somebody about being a prayer partner. <clears throat> There's a few basic things that we say. Um, one is it's not a counseling session, you know, because it's easy to get caught up in that, right? But, but one of the things that this is, this is vitally important to me, okay? I want you to know that, 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 that we're, we're adamant with our prayer partners about this. If somebody comes up to one of the prayer partners and says something like, um, I just found out I have cancer, that prayer partner 
is not allowed to pray something like, God, help them deal with this as they're going through this. Why waste everybody's time, including God's? Help them to go through. Help them die with a smile on their face. I know that's not the way we say it, but isn't that what we're saying? See, as Christians, we're scared to death to say, God, heal this person. 100% heal this person. But see, we're talking, we're not talking to another person to help them go through this. We're not talking to a, 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 a friend to come alongside. That's what people do. We're not talking to a person. <clears throat> we're talking to the creator of everything. We're talking to the creator of every single cell and every person's body of the, that's ever lived. And when some of those cells, because of the brokenness of humanity that brought sickness and sin and disease into humanity, because of that, some of those cells go rogue. But that doesn't change the fact that God made that cell in the first place. And he can fix it. Just like when you go rogue, he can save you. When a cell goes rogue, he can fix it too. Why? Why would we pray, just help this be okay, God? You can get that from a fortune cookie. We're going to the creator of everything. Why not ask Jehovah the healer, the provider, the victor of all battles, why not ask Jehovah, God Almighty, to heal this person? That's what his word tells us to do. Pray the biggest prayer. Pray the top shelf. <clears throat> Pray what God wants to happen, not what we will settle for as humans because we're scared. And here's a big one, is pray what you would want somebody to pray for you if you were the one standing there. Pray that. Pray like it's your only hope. Yes, we've got doctors, we've got medicine, we've got all that. You know, people can go to counseling. There's all kinds of good things that are very healthy and important along the way. But prayer is our first, it's our big, and it starts with, God, there is no other God except you. And there is no other hope except you. Pray like it's your only hope. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. Those are his close three, right? That's his inner circle. Theoretically, and I don't know exactly how this works. When I say this, sometimes this, this irritates people. It just kind of rubs them wrong. Probably his three closest friends. I don't know that I would have picked Peter, but I'm not Jesus. But this is his, this is his inner circle. He spent the most time, he talked with him the most. He interacted with him the most and potentially was his three closest of the 12 and definitely of the 70. So he goes to the garden and, and the, the biggest, the only other biggest time than this is the Mount of Transfiguration and he took two of these guys. So he goes to the garden. 
Peter, James, and John are there with him. And he told them, listen to what he tells them. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This isn't the Beatitudes. This isn't what he normally says. He's never said anything like this to, the, to these three guys. He's never said anything close to this. And he says, my soul is, is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, this is important as we, as we get farther down through this, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He's telling him his heart here. He's bearing his heart to God the Father. And, and I believe this is a, an amazing example for you and I. We, we are supposed to bear our heart, our soul to the Lord. I, so in the context, and this was a, a long time ago, I'm 52, but when I grew up in the church, you didn't say things to God like, God, you have upset me. We just bottled it up and act like it wasn't true. You know what that's called? Lying. But we weren't allowed to do that in the church when I was growing up. You couldn't say something like that to God. How heretical could you possibly be? But God already knows it. I, I just think it is extremely healthy in your walk with the Lord to say, God, I'm upset. I'm mad at you, God. And this is why. Now, don't tell everybody else. Tell God and do it respectfully because the heavens is his seat and the earth is his footstool and he can tap his toe and take you out. So, so process that. But go to the king and say, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. Why didn't you answer this? Why did this happen? But then listen for his answer. And Jesus goes to God and says, if it is possible, Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. What had he said to them? My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. <laughs> ah. Guys, this is why I think at the end of the day, prayer is more important than relationships within the kingdom of God. Because people can... Win or lose, they can fail you. They can stand strong. But Jesus will always be consistent, and he will always interact with you, and he will always bless you with his presence. If you seek his face, he will always be there for you, even when people fail, even when they're not there for you. And that's just going to happen That because we're humans. I'm not trying to pick on people. We're human beings. We fail, but Jesus will never fail you. Get in with him. They were asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Just one hour? I think this is why people, at least when I was growing up, it was kind of the magical number of prayer was an hour. If you couldn't pray at least an hour, then you weren't really a good Christian. Um, I think this is where it came from because I can't find anywhere else in Scripture. There's not a, you know, he didn't, he didn't wrap up the Lord's Prayer with and keep saying this until an hour happens. He didn't say something like that. But this is the only place I can, and and. Spending time with the Lord is the key. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Because if you're praying, the chances of you being tempted go way down. I'll give you a little test. The next time somebody that is not your spouse starts coming on to you, start praying out loud in tongues. Now hold on. Write this down. 
And you tell me later whether you cheated on your spouse or not. Just pray out loud in tongues. You don't have to do it dramatically. Just begin to pray out loud. Maybe, uh, no, don't touch them. But uh, just pray out loud in tongues. Because when you pray, you're not as tempted. That's simple, guys. That's simple. Pray. You won't be tempted. For the spirit is willing, willing, but the body is weak. Now look at this. Then Jesus left him a second time and prayed. You realize the prayer changes? My father, if this cup cannot be taken away. In other words, he went from if it's possible for the cup to be taken away to since it can't be. So guess what else happened in that time of prayer? God changed his thinking. God... um, Gave him strength in his spirit. God strengthened him and gave him um, confidence that he can do this. So the second time he comes back, since it can't be taken away, then your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. They couldn't keep their eyes open. Now, let's let's give them a little bit of break. You understand part of the reason they they couldn't keep, this is my thinking, that they couldn't keep their eyes open is because this is one of the most impacting powerful spiritual battles that's ever happened in one location on the planet. And they were just not spiritually up to the task. That's not a horrible indictment because I don't know any human that would have been. Every demon in hell was trying to take Jesus out at this moment. Those three little humans sitting there, not God in human flesh, just humans in human flesh, it, is, this was, it was way over their head. Okay. You all right, Linda? You hurting? Well, she's recently had knee surgery. I'm concerned. You got it. Okay. We'll wait. Okay. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, and this is kind of the... It's over, guys. It's over. He says, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Man, I I wouldn't want to be those three guys. I think they did as good or better than anybody else possibly could have. But don't don't you know that how much that hurt them? We see this in the language of Peter later. How much it got to Peter. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit. You understand that means pray in tongues, okay? That's specifically what that means. Pray in the breath of God. The pneuma, the breath of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. When do we pray? At all times. On every occasion. At all times. On every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. For all believers everywhere. Why don't you stand with me? I want to be a person of prayer. We're beginning this new year. What better time to say, God, give me some, give me some new direction, some freshness in my spirit. I want to be a person of prayer. I want to be a person of prayer. So let's do that. Lord, we commit ourselves to you.
God, you made me. I didn't make me. You gave me a brain and you also gave me a spirit so that I could interact with you. So I could consciously, intentionally, intelligently interact with you on a spiritual level. So Lord, I want to seek your face. I humble myself before you. You're the king. I want to seek your face. God, I want that to be a consistent part of me. That I seek your face. That I seek your face. God, I pray this through every person in this room. That we would seek your face. That we would seek your face. God, we need you so much more than we will ever know. Lord, give us, give us a breath of that right now, how much we truly need you. That we must talk to you. We must connect with you, interact with you. Jesus, we need you. I need you. God, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man of prayer. So God, every one of us in here, just put in our spirit right now times and ways and moments when we can just get alone with you. God, parents with small children, let them find those times to get alone with you. God, it's so difficult sometimes. Help them to find the time to get alone with you and to support each other in this. We help we help our spouse have time to get alone with you. God, the, the busyness of life, our, our work, our businesses, all the stuff, Lord, help us to find that time to get alone with you, to make it, make up our minds right now, to be intentional about this right now in our spirit. And we're going to do this. We're going to get alone with you. Jesus. Keep your head bowed. I want to take the opportunity to pray with us. For us all to pray together, actually. To say, Jesus, I need you. I need you as my Savior. I need you in charge of my life. You may know that you don't belong to Jesus right now. You may just not be sure. But if you say, I need Jesus to be God over my life, and this is, this is way more for you than it is for me, but if you say, I need Jesus to be in charge of my life, I'd like to raise your hand real quick. We're all just going to pray together. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm always encouraged. I'm always encouraged when I see people put their hands up. They're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. So I'd like us to pray. As a whole group, all of us pray together. For you that raise your hands, do the best you can just to say, 
This is, this is from me, Lord. This is my talking to you from my heart moment. But this is me. I'd like us to all pray this together and to ask Jesus to be in charge of our life. So pray this out loud with me together. Lord God, I need you more than anything else. I want you to be God over my life. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to spend the rest of my life serving you. In Jesus' name I pray. God, thank you for this amazing gift called grace. Lord, thank you for making it seemingly so simple, but Lord, we know it also includes us, that we give ourselves to you, that, that, that really the only gift I can give you, Lord, is me. <clears throat> so God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us, washing us clean build our faith right now that we know that we are forgiven, that we know that we've been cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody how amazing Jesus is and how much he loves them. And God will honor that in your life. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad that they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.